grace to you, God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. One of uh, my favorite story that I thought George would share, George was there when I proposed to Nicole and uh, I had flown my family out and it was designed that Nicole would think that uh, my senior pastor was having a um, new home uh, party. So when Nicole came in, uh, my family was there, but then she wouldn't expect my family to actually be there at my pastor's party. So we had everyone hiding um, on the, in the bedroom. But George was there, which was like, she wouldn't expect George to be here either. So George went up with my family, and they were all hiding together. So uh, when my family came out, Nicole was just like, well, here's mom and George. <laughs> Praise, and I'm so grateful that the Lord connected us, and I'm so grateful for how God is using George here in your midst, and um, praise the Lord uh, for his gift to his church. Please grab God's word, and we will turn to Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. Let's hear God's word. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? The word of God for the people of God. May God be glorified and may we be edified. Have you ever given a pop quiz? Have you ever taken a pop quiz? Pop quizzes are given by teachers to uh, test the student's knowledge, comprehension, information that was covered in previous classes. The students who often do well on a pop quiz are the nerdy ones, like my wife, who probably review their notes right after class and study throughout the semester. So often I viewed pop quizzes as just like a mean way for a professor to just toy with the students like, <laughs> And now I'm a professor myself, I don't give a lot of pop quizzes. But when I do, I don't do it to be mean. I just do it to ensure that my students are doing the work 
throughout the semester, that they're staying on their toes and that they're taking uh, the work seriously. We enter Matthew 8, 23 to 27, I dare say, that the master, the Lord Jesus Christ, gives a pop quiz to his disciples, to his students. It is clear that the main point of this text is about the divine authority of Jesus. I think in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the great sermon on the mount, verse 28 Matthew makes this commentary. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribe. So in Matthew 5 through 7, Matthew wants us to see Jesus' authority in his teaching and his preaching. I believe in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, Matthew wants us to see Jesus' authority in action. So the point of the passage that we read is that Jesus has great divine authority. But I think this text has in it a teaching that we as Christ's disciples need to learn that Christ himself was teaching his disciples here and that the disciples had in fact entered into Jesus's school of discipleship. In verses 18 to 22, two would-be disciples told Jesus that they wanted to follow him and Jesus's close disciples were present and were listening in on Jesus's response. And when Jesus gets away from that and he gets in the boat with them, I believe Jesus has much lessons, much more lessons that he wants his disciples to learn. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22 gives us an idea, perhaps, of which of Jesus' disciples were actually present with him in the boat. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So at minimum, these four are actually in the boat with Jesus, and Jesus wants to teach them. So this text is not only about the divine power of Jesus, but it, also about, it is also about a test of faith that Jesus gives his disciples here. Faith throughout the Bible is three fundamental ways we can view faith. First way, faith can be viewed as a simple trust, dependence in God or the Word of God. The Old Testament shows that Abraham had that simple trust and dependence on God and his Word. The entire Torah and 
arguably all of the Old Testament, links the simple faith of Abraham and God to the work that God will do to bring all of the nations to him. So simple faith, simple dependence on God. God is present, God speaks, we believe, and we trust. A second way, faith can be viewed as obedience. As obedience, because as Moses in Exodus chapter 24, as he gives the law, the covenant is confirmed by the sprinkling of blood. And in verse 7, the people, they commit to obeying the law. They commit to practicing and living out their faith. So when we come here on Sunday morning, what are we doing? We're showing our faith. We're practicing our faith. We're saying God is real. His word is living. His word can change. And it is important for us to be together as God's people, to be encouraged by one another's presence, to be encouraged as we sing, to be encouraged as we pray, to be encouraged as we hear the proclamation of God's word. The world, as they see us coming into this building, they're saying these are people of faith. So when we practice our faith in this sense, it can be equal to obedience. A third way, faith can be defined or expressed using a creedal confession. As we read the Westminster Confession in part today, it's an expression of faith. And to give you an example in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, 2 Timothy, let me see how well I can find 2 Timothy quite quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. We hear these words, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. What faith is Paul talking about? In verse 3 he states, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own Desire. So Paul is saying, I kept the faith. I taught the correct gospel. I preached and I preached and taught sound doctrine. My life was dedicated to that. So a third way, faith can be used to refer to God's word, uh, the entirety of God's word. And here in Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, 23 to 27. Matthew, Jesus in particular, is speaking to the first idea of faith that I talked about, and that's just simple faith. God is here, and we must trust and believe. The disciples were called to trust and depend on the divine capabilities of Christ to protect them during this storm. So in this test of faith, three lessons we can learn, three lessons. The first lesson is that rever godly reverential fear builds faith, and sinful fear destroys faith. Godly reverential fear builds our faith. But sinful fear 
will destroy and cripple our faith. Number two, immature faith is not good enough. Immature faith is not good enough. Number three, proper Christian faith is anchored on the God-man, Jesus Christ. Proper Christian faith is anchored on the God-man, Jesus Christ. First point, godly reverential fear builds faith and sinful fear destroys faith. In verse 26, Jesus says, he said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Jesus links fear with faith. The word here used for afraid is deloy. It means to be, to be a coward, to be timid. It's as if Jesus is saying to his disciples, you bunch of timid and cowardly men, what's the matter with you all? He tells them that they have little faith. It's as if Jesus is saying that if you had the proper faith, if you had the mature faith, you would not be so afraid. In other words, their trust in God would have killed their worries. Their trust in Christ would have destroyed all of their anxieties. Fear can be both good and bad. Fear can be both good and bad. See, there's a good fear. It's a holy fear that, that God gives to us as his children. And this holy fear empowers us to revere God's authority, to obey his commandments, and to hate and shun all that is evil. The Bible shows us this type of fear in Jeremiah 32, verse 40, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they will not turn from me. That's a good fear. That's, that's a type of fear that we all want. We want to fear God's judgment but we also want to fear God in such a way and knowing his goodness that if we dare disobey, we will be missing out on his goodness. So there is a good fear that all Christians should embrace and run after. Such a fear does not cause us to be timid or a bunch of cowards. Such a fear really pushes us to honor, love, and serve our God. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Paul writes, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in fear of God. So God's goodness to us, God's holiness... To us, God's holiness, as we see his holiness in his word, will motivate us in fear to humbly obey and serve our master. That's not the fear the disciples had. Uh, the fear that the disciples had was a bad fear. 
It's the fear that takes away our courage. It is the type of fear that God told Jeremiah as a prophet. And Jeremiah as a prophet, I relate to Jeremiah a whole lot. The reason, once the city was destroyed, Jeremiah chose to stay behind. So when I preach and teach God's word in Haiti, I, I call on my students, I, I, I call on these pastors, let's be like Jeremiah. Let's make a choice to stay behind and care for the people. Let George be an Ezekiel or a Daniel. But let's choose to be Jeremiah. And Ezekiel and Daniel, they're, they're good prophets, right? So George, you're a good man. I, I love you. I appreciate the work you're doing here. Jeremiah chose to stay. He stayed behind. And God told Jeremiah, don't be afraid of their faces. Jeremiah 1 verse 8. Don't be afraid of their faces. Because Jeremiah was not about to preach a feel-good message. Jeremiah was about to stand against other prophets who, who would tell the children of Israel, don't worry, Babylonians will come and God will stand with us and we can fight. And Jeremiah was to preach, lay down your arms, God will not protect you. You will be led to captivity. And God was telling Jeremiah, when you proclaim this message, Jeremiah, do not be afraid of their faces. I want you to be bold. I want you to be of strong courage. Do not be fearful. Do not let their faces cripple your faith. That's, that's the type of fear that the disciples had. And Jesus does not want us to have these types of fear, this bad fear. In John chapter 14, 1 to 3, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me and my houses. In my house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, where, that where I am you may be also. John 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you, the peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Isaiah 26, verse 3, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind stays on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The disciples were aware that Jesus was in the boat. We read Matthew chapter 4, Jesus called them to follow him, and they left everything and followed Jesus and in the beginning of Matthew chapter 8, they witnessed the authority of Jesus in his actions. Jesus heals a man of leprosy. They were present when a military man had a servant that was sick and with a word from a distance from Jesus, the servant was healed. So in that boat was the opportunity for them to revere that this man who has such divine authority, he is in the boat 
with us. This was an opportunity to simply bow down and trust and believe that God would protect them. But sinful fear crippled them, crippled them, and gave them no courage, which is why Jesus asked them, why you men of little faith, you men of little faith. They did not embrace godly reverential fear that was in the boat with them. Number two, immature faith is not good enough. Immature faith is not good enough. The disciples had faith. Why? Matthew chapter 4. They had enough faith. They left everything and followed Follow Jesus. And they had enough faith to say, Jesus, save us. But their faith was rebuked for what? Being too, too little. Their faith was not mature. So their faith needed to grow. D.A. Carson argues the following. I quote, The word little faith may not so much refer to quantity of faith as to its impoverished nature. And he cites Matthew 17, 20, where faith like the grain of a mustard seed is not large faith, but a certain kind of faith. Jesus presupposes that proper faith would drive out fear. He rebukes the disciples and that, in their case, fear has driven out faith. Clearly, they have enough faith to turn to him for help. But the desperation of their cry and their astonished remarks after the miracle show their faith is not very mature. So clearly, they had faith. But... Their faith was immature. So that's why our second, our second point is immature faith is not good enough. It's not that it's bad faith. It's that it needs to grow. It needs to mature. This past fall, my family and I were returning. Past uh, 2022, September, we were returning from the States, from our furlough. For the longest time, Haiti has been labeled the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And most recently, Haiti has been labeled the most dangerous country in the Western Hemisphere. Based on past experiences, as we've ventured from the capital to make it to Grand Guave, our girls are very fearful of Port-au-Prince. I remember as our plane landed in Port-au-Prince and my oldest daughter turned to me in tears and she was overwhelmed with fears. She asked me, Poppy, are you afraid? I said, yes, but I'm praying. I had two verses in mind. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
So as we landed in Port-au-Prince, I was praying. I was saying, Lord, I'm anxious. I'm very anxious. I'm afraid for my wife. I'm afraid for my girls. My mother is 75 years old and she's with us. Lord, I'm afraid. But I'm casting all of my anxieties on you because your word says you care for me. I had Matthew 28, verse 20 in mind. I am with you always to the end of the ages. Brothers and sisters, we must continually fight to not allow our fears, this bad fear, to drive out and cripple our faith when God calls us to stand. So our faith will grow to maturity as we fight fear by trusting God's promises. Fear will be there, just like it was there as we landed in Port-au-Prince. But I had to constantly remind myself of God's promises. Last, third, proper Christian faith is anchored on the God-man, Jesus Christ. Proper Christian faith is anchored on the God-man, Jesus Christ. The proper faith that overcomes fear is anchored on the most important truth that Jesus wanted his disciples to know about him. In verse 20, further up, Jesus had said, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This was Jesus' response to a would-be disciple, a man who wanted to follow him. And Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Now, this title, Son of Man, is rooted in the book of Ezekiel. So as we read this with great attention, and even if you were to take my Bible here and turn to Ezekiel, you would see Son of Man, Son of Man, Son of Man, highlighted over 80 times, and all referring to Ezekiel as the Son of Man. So Jesus is saying in verse 20, I'm one like Ezekiel. I have a prophetic ministry. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, we read of Daniel's vision. And here the Son of Man is seen as the one who would have an everlasting dominion. So as we see the title, the Son of Man, we should think of Jesus Christ being the Messiah, the one who would rule forever and ever. And in John 3, verse 13, Jesus says the Son of Man is the one who ascended and descended from heaven. So if he ascended and descended from heaven, he came, he came from heaven. He is God himself. Jesus wants his disciples to see him as the one who is a prophet like Ezekiel, as the awaited servant of the Most High, the Holy One of Israel, who is worthy to worship. Jesus is the God-man, and the God-man is in the boat. Why should you fear? And how do we know the God-man is in the boat? Jesus speaks to the wind and the seas, and they listened. 
And the disciples were shocked. What manner of man is this? What kind of a guy is this? Only God can do such things. Only God can speak to nature. The God-man was present. And there was no need for them to fear the storm. Proper Christian faith is grounded on the truth that Jesus is indeed the second Adam. He has taken away the sting of death, the power of sin, and the power of the law. He has fulfilled the law. Faith combined with repentance. Dear brother, sister, perhaps not in Christ, but because we're two human beings, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I can call you brother or sister if you're here and you don't know Jesus as the God-man, I challenge you, please speak to any of us after the service so that we can share with great details that you do not have to fear physical death. You do not have to fear spiritual death because Christ overcame it all. You do not have to fear any longer the power of sin or the law that condemns you. Jesus can give you perfect peace. And trusting in his life, death, and resurrection as the only means to be justified before a holy God, that's the faith that saves. And that's the faith that will get you through your life journey on this earth. So we enter Jesus' school of discipleship. What have we learned? Godly reverential fear will build our faith, but sinful fear will destroy it. Jesus has taught us that Immature faith is not necessarily bad faith, but our faith needs to grow. And Jesus has taught us, know that he, the God-man, will be with you if you place your faith and trust with him through the end of the age. I was saved at the age of 11. My Sunday school teacher led me to the Lord. And he started a Bible study with a group of about four of us who made profession of faith in Christ after this uh, Sunday school lesson. And he was like my role model. He was 23, I was 11, and we're still friends uh, to this day. And he would uh, have a Bible study with us. He, he would pick us up, and then uh, he got me my first Bible and taught me how to pray, and taught me the disciplines of the Christian life, the need to read my Bible daily, and the need to be active in church. So I looked up to him greatly. I was saved in 1992. In 1992, young people ages 11, 12, and 13, in my neck of the woods, they were listening to Dr. Dre. And they were listening to Snoop Dogg. They were listening to NWA. Those were the guys I was listening to, my headphones, my Walkman. So my language as an 11-year-old was just filthy. Just filthy. And my dear brother knew that that had to change. And one Saturday, he took us, and we're playing basketball, and I just took a three, and it bounced out. And I yelled out a bad word, like my little girls would probably say, ooh, Poppy said a bad word. And here my, 
my teacher, my role model, was right there. And the look on his face was just like, will you, will you, will you? He got to have to get a hold of this. And then he saw how crushed I was. You know, pretty much, it was like Jesus turning to his disciples. You of little faith. Well, you're, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to mature and know that Christian men don't talk like that? But after looking at me, he said, I'm going to teach you a song that I sing at times when I struggle and feel discouraged. Now, this is a song that is true to this text and still true today. It was true for the disciples and the boat. The song says, he's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just six days to make the moon and stars the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be, because he's still working on it. Jesus was still working on his disciples. Peter would go on to live out his faith. Peter would overcome fear when all of Jesus' disciples, perhaps, only, only John, not only perhaps, but truthfully, only John, the only one who didn't die as a martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ. So they, over, they overcame fear eventually by trusting that Jesus, the God-man, would take care of them. So throughout this week, I'm sure you'll get a pop quiz. You'll get a pop quiz from your master. And perhaps on Monday you'll pass. Maybe on Tuesday you'll fail. I don't know. But when you do fail, just know that Jesus is still working on you. He's working on all of us who love him, who serve him, and for that we are grateful. God bless you.